is Michael Waits, and welcome back to The Wolfcast. Today, we are joined by Gilkje Phillips, a co-founder and the CEO of Crypto Index Series. Gilkje, thank you so much for coming on the show. How are you doing this morning? Hi, hello, Michael. Very good. Thank you very much, and thank you for the invitation. It is my pleasure. Before we jump into the main part of our conversation, can we get a little bit of your background for some context? Sure, absolutely. Um, so I've studied computer science, um, let's say back in 2001, and, um, and then moved to uh, Switzerland, worked for Thomson Reuters for about three years, um, and then decided that I quite like to uh, study a little bit more. So I did my master's and PhD in the University of York in the UK. Um, and, um, and then moved to Dubai, worked as a project manager, technical lead, um, process excellence manager for some companies, including Maersk, Kunanagel. Um, and um, it was back in 2016, uh, we moved to Turkey and um, uh, where I originally, um, myself and my co-founder, we set up uh, Progesium. And in 2017, we did set up Crypto Index Series focusing specifically on uh, crypto fintech products. Are you originally from Turkey? I'm Turkish, yes. So you moved home? Um, well, kind you know, oh, yes, over the years, you know, you find different homes. So yes, obviously, Turkey is my original home. But then, um, you know, I'd say you, the UK has been my second home and Switzerland has been my third home. So uh, let's see what life will bring. It's a good answer. I lived in Japan for 22 years from when I was 24 years old. So I feel like I lived my entire adult life in a country where I was not born if that makes sense. So I kind of know the feeling. Sure, absolutely. Um, I think as long as one can make where he, she lives home, then that's where the home is. What got you interested in crypto? I mean, I understand the computer science stuff. I presume you got your master's and your PhD in, in CompSci as well? Correct, yes. Yeah, so, you know, it sounds like you started off with this very traditional corporate career, right? I mean, you mentioned Maersk. This is just a big shipping line, right? And you were doing sort of regular jobs there. What was the impetus to move into the crypto world? Um, right. So uh, initially, to be honest, you know, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting story. The reason we wanted to become entrepreneurs uh, is because we become parents. And um, hence, at that moment in time, we actually, both myself and my partner, we wanted to be more flexible and we wanted to be able to utilize more of our potential than we were able to whilst working for corporates. Um, however, in terms of the cryptocurrencies, a very close relative of mine um, sold his um, three bedroom apartment and put all the money in cryptocurrencies. This was back in 2016. And that's how um, you know, the whole crypto market got our attention. Uh, so me being a researcher um, at heart, uh, I sat down and read sort of 85 white papers, um, yeah. you know, telling me what all those cryptocurrencies are doing, how they're different from each other. And I had to classify and study before we invested any money in crypto markets. Right. Um, and so at that moment, you know, again, both myself and um, Rich, my partner, 
Uh, we worked at uh, Thomson Reuters, especially Richard uh, worked there for about 15 years. And so we've got a good understanding of fintech products. Um, hence, you know, in our studies of crypto markets, we kind of had that kind of perspective as to um, what is missing in crypto markets, what kind of elements uh, that we can bring from traditional markets into crypto markets that can be useful for the, uh, you know, for the traditional financial actors as well. So you said something so interesting earlier. Do you mind if I just interrupt you? You said when we became parents, we decided we wanted to become entrepreneurs. <laughs> Most people, when they become parents, feel like they lose a lot of time and freedom to do the things they want to do. But it looks like you two kind of jumped into this wholesale and said, you know what, we're going to do all of these things that we want to do all at the same time, which I think is fabulous. When I became a parent, I didn't lose the ability to do the things I wanted to do. I just had another person along for the ride kind of thing. I'm curious what you think. Sure, of course. Uh, you know, we wish that we would have started our entrepreneurial life earlier. That's for sure. We would have had more time in our hands. But at the same time, I suppose the moment you become a parent, you also manage your time much better. Yeah. Um, because the number of hours in a day does not change. Whereas, <laughs> you know, the number of tasks you've got to do increase. Um, so, um, yes, I mean, I certainly believe that I can manage my time better. I can manage people better. Um, you know, and at the same time, being able to be flexible, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's the key. Obviously, with the pandemic in the last couple of years, um, things have been different. You know, Very. we are now living in a more flexible life. People can work remotely and so on. But, you know, back in 2010, this was not possible, for instance. Not really. Talk to me about this research that you did on the crypto. And I'll tell you why. Last, uh, I think it was a few weeks ago now, I released an episode for another one of my shows for a guy who's building a crypto lending business in India. And the title of that show actually ended up being Every Blockchain Finds Its Own Believers, which I thought was an interesting way to talk about every you know blockchain but also every token and stuff like that what did you learn from all this research that you did so uh, every crypto asset uh, is a separate project is a separate startup and they have their own journey right. interestingly you know we generalize it as a crypto asset but in fact really they all have their own stories and the stories include their technical perspectives their business model their regulatory perspectives so they all have a different story to tell um, you know, in that respect, I do agree with um, what you just said as to, you know, they have their own believers. It, it's going to be because, um, you know, let's say a utility token uh, in an advertisement sector is going to be telling a completely different story than, uh, you know, Ethereum in a completely technology oriented uh, place. So, uh, so what did you learn? You said, you, you know, your partner was at Thomson Reuters. So were you a little bit. You saw these financial products. I worked at Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs for 20 something years, right? So I'm happy to talk about any product you want to talk about. Tell me how now you find these gaps in the sort of finance or fintech world and apply crypto to it. Sure. So initially, um, I tried sort of started classifying the crypto assets based on their technical characteristics, regulatory. And in fact, this kind of this work became a taxonomy work to begin with. Um, so each crypto asset um, has an ID telling what that crypto asset can do for their users or what that crypto asset 
will be defined in terms of their regulatory definitions and whatnot. And then we've created indices as a benchmark tool um, based on sectors, for example, or performance indices. Um, So hence our name crypto index series came from there, thinking that we were only going to be doing crypto indices. Um, However, the work got bigger. So what we're doing right now is we provide data trading and portfolio solutions to institutional investors uh, or institutional clients, including wealth managers, asset managers, um, you know, digital asset banks, prime brokers, and so on. So why did you start with the index series? Again, if you go back and look at the, the development of the of indices as a thing, right, and then go back and look at mutual funds too, I mean, everybody knows the Dow Jones Industrial Average, everybody knows the, you know, the DAX, the all of these indices, right? There are entire businesses built around what goes into an index, what comes out of an index, inclusion, exclusion, all this kind of stuff. Are you just trying to take all that and port it into crypto before anybody else does it? Yeah. Um, I suppose I could actually say that we've been we've been one of the first doing that. Um, and right now we're looking to, in fact, this can be an open invitation listening uh, to me. We're, we're looking to collaborate with index issuers, uh, you know, who are looking sort of how to make that index regulatory compliant. So we can be acting as an index calculating agent and then an index issuer can come and take that index and make it available for index funds, for instance. Uh, is this like an MSCI thing? <laughs> um, well, I suppose, yeah, MSCI, if they wanted to uh, introduce crypto indices, uh, they could certainly use us as an index calculating agent as well. Yeah, but I mean, you could disintermediate them completely, right? In other words, so MSCI creates indices globally, right? Emerging market indices, regular, all these kind of index indices, right? But it's become a brand because they were doing this for decades. But it also means that Crypto Index Series could become that brand that that owns the indices around crypto as well, right? Without having to go to another service provider, which to me seems like a massive opportunity, right? Because there's all this stuff happening in the crypto world. And just now the institutional investors are starting to catch up. I'm curious what your conversations are like or what the interaction is like with sort of existing index providers, but also the institutional investors who are looking at what you're doing and thinking we need to be involved. So you see, to our surprise, um, as the institutional investment came later, uh, you know, especially for crypto markets, the early majority has been the retail customers. Yeah. And then it's only after sort of uh, 2020 October, we started seeing more and more institutional customers coming in. And hence, you know, the, the, the market is still developing so much so that the indices, um, they yes we can see some indices i'm not going to name the competitors in this podcast but you know yes we can see some examples but uh, it's still yet to grow so the demand will grow yes for sure um but you know we don't we, we're not talking to people every day telling us oh yes we definitely like an index hence at the moment the uh, the demand is more around data So um, institutions will definitely like to have pricing data, pricing indices, um, you know, asset indices, asset pair indices, but also the portfolio analytics. Um, So this is why uh, at the moment we are covering this data trading and portfolio space and indices are, you know, 
yes, an element that we cover and we will be covering. Um, but because of the um, the way that institutional adoption is going, data and portfolio analytics um, fronts have been more in demand, so to say. Very interesting. So you started on the index side, but now you're looking at this and saying this data and the portfolio analytics is, is more interesting. How do you handle liquidity from a portfolio mm. analytics standpoint, right? You know what I mean, right? Sure. So uh, we have an API product called CIS API. CIS is short for crypto index series. Um, And through this API, we not only provide data, but we also provide access to exchanges. Um, So potentially you could, um, you know, uh, by providing your API key for an exchange, you can also send buy and sell orders to that particular exchange. Right. So you can you can connect to those exchanges, but we are also integrating with prime brokers. So which means you could choose, you know, between sort of exchanges or prime brokers to send these buy and sell orders. And if you do that for the connected accounts, we're also collecting all the transactions for you. Right. Which means you can then do uh, portfolio analytics, such as you know performance index, asset allocation, um, various other um, calculations as such. Yeah, I mean, I was looking, I was thinking about liquidity in a slightly different way, right? So the market cap, if I look at CoinMarketCap.com, it says the market cap for all the crypto that they follow is one point seven. Let's call it one point eight trillion dollars. Sounds like mm-hmm. a really big number, right? But every day in the FX markets, five trillion dollars trades. So it's a much more liquid asset. So what I guess my question is from a from a data analytics and a portfolio analytics standpoint, how do you handle that parameter of liquidity or how do your index clients think, I mean, not your index clients, excuse me, your institutional clients look at what's happening in the crypto world and try to understand the impact of the liquidity. So every trade that they do, in other words, doing a hundred million or $500 million trade in FX, you could do in your sleep. Because it's mm-hmm. so small in the context of what trades every day. But if I want to do a $100 million Bitcoin trade, the market's going to move. Sure. So, in fact, prime brokers are, you know, we're only partnering with prime brokers. We're not looking to be one. Right. But prime brokers are one solution to that. So what they do is they're uh, connecting to, let's say, 12 exchanges. And once they receive an order, say, for 1,000 Bitcoin, they wouldn't be buying that 1,000 that Bitcoin from one exchange. No. But they, they'd look to sort of distribute in an algorithmic way, let's say. Um, so that would be their IP. Um, and by being a partner with them, you know, we'd like to be able to provide that access to the customers. But, um, you know, we're not looking to be an exchange or a, or a liquidity provider ourselves. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be one either. Frankly, I'd much rather be in the data and the data analytics and the portfolio <laughs> analytics business. When you look at scale, you talked how all of this started with retail clients, and it really did, right? Just a bunch of guys and gals that were crypto interested. What happened in October 2000? Because you picked that out, right? And I don't think that was random. Mm. But what was happening either in October 2020 or into that date that makes you think that that was an inflection point? So in October 2020, uh, PayPal announced that they would allow um, uh, payments with cryptocurrencies. And just after that, Grayscale um, started investing in crypto. Yeah. And from then onwards, um, you know, I, I tried to uh, 
follow these specifically institutional news. Um, almost every second week, we heard some other institution investing in crypto. Yeah, JP Morgan, uh, Goldman Sachs, all these guys, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, Mass Mutual. There are, in fact, now there is even a, um, a service provider showing, you know, uh, sort of which fund, which crypto fund is, is uh, investing, how much crypto and so on. So um, there's definitely institutional invo involvement after that. And in fact, that is why, although we have um, experienced downs in crypto markets, overall, the, um, the total market cap did not necessarily drop that much. You know, in the past, we've seen it dropping to, you know, really low levels so in fact at this level i believe that this is this is still cheap for institutions to come in and early enough uh to to consider more crypto and to be honest uh, you know we're also following some of the reports there's a fidelity asset management report and nikhil digital asset management report uh, i happen to obviously now uh, publicize these reports but um in these reports it says seven in ten institutional investors expect to buy and invest in crypto this year um just to give up some numbers there 84 percent of european high net worth individuals currently invest in digital assets and the last number 82 percent of asset managers expect to increase their crypto allocation by 2023 you know, these are really high numbers, uh, which obviously motivate us to do what we do. Yeah, I mean, your business is just going to get bigger. You, we can argue over coffee as to whether this is a good entry point for, frankly, for any asset. But in my mind, as the world continues to get wealthier and wealthier, and we can talk about the political impact of cryptocurrency in a few minutes, but it's just the world gets wealthier and wealthier. Assets in general, there will be things that make them fall, but those are buying opportunities in my mind, hard assets and soft assets, because as more money sloshes around the world, it needs to find a place where it thinks returns are higher. And with interest rates persistently low and stock markets performing like crazy over the past 10 years, particularly since the financial crisis, people are moving into crypto. It's just a new asset. It's like when people moved into hedge funds 20 years ago. At least that's what it looks like to me. And you're right. Even when it goes down, the market cap doesn't fall that much. So it still remains an interesting market. Who, who do you think, when you look at your potential clients, who are the biggest targets? Are they only in the United States? Are they in Europe? Are there ones in Asia as well? Like, what does the world look like to you? So this is very much in correlation with the regulations. Go ahead. Um, at the moment, you know, the regulations are forward specifically in Switzerland and in Germany. Um, hence, you know, we see a lot of sort of um, new actors coming in or traditional actors converting to crypto. Um, you know, both asset managers, digital asset banks, right. um, private banks. So, you know, more and more of these we see specifically, well, in, in, for Europe, it's mainly sort, sort of Switzerland and Germany. Um, but also, you know, we see hubs in uh, Far East, like Hong Kong and Singapore. Um, and, you know, we see certainly movement in the US as well. But the, due to regulations, perhaps it's slower than it could have been. Do you work with regulators at all? And I guess the other question would be, where does the pressure for regulatory change come? Does it come from big institutional investors? Does it come from an amalgamation of retail investors, some combination of that? What does it look like to you? 
Um, so it, when it comes to regulations, the um, retail customers are more limited at the moment. For example, in the UK, retail customers cannot invest in derivative, uh, crypto derivative products. Really? So that's a straight ban. Uh, also, you know, the service providers are not allowed to provide such services to retail customers. Um, yet, you know, when it comes to institutional customers, it's a bit more open. Um, and in the absence of regulations, you know, in the past, it was easier because there was, uh, let's say, a gray area. Therefore, it was okay to, uh, to do business in the gray area. Right. But with the bans introduced in different parts of the world, um, you know, institutions are a bit more wary about these, obviously. Um, so, you know, I'd say that where there is a bit more clear regulation or a sandbox, at least, um, that's where we see more movement. Yeah, and I mean, just so you know, when I literally drive down the main street in Bangkok, I cannot not see ads for... Zipmex, Bitcub, companies that are just promoting investment in Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. The regulators here and in Singapore have been very open, at least to listening to conversations about crypto and the impact that it's going to have on the financial system as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you see this going? Right. You're sitting here in this part. You started with indices, but then you said, okay, it's this data trading and portfolio analysis business. What else is coming that maybe I don't know about or that I haven't heard about yet? Um, so the, the way we're thinking is this, for an institution, you know, um, in order to invest or in order for, the, for them or in order to invest for their customers, right. they would require a certain level of infrastructure. For example, you know, they need a custodian to store crypto assets. They would need a data provider. They would need access to liquidity providers. They would require portfolio analytics. They would require tax reporting. <clears throat> and you know they would require perhaps some risk management tools and so on. So we'd like to see this as a suite of tools um, that they require. And I don't think there are many uh, institutions out there um, who would like to do all that in-house because this means a lot of resource, you know, time um, and money. Um, and at the moment, rather than, um, you know, trying to sort of uh, set up a team in-house, um, you know, teach them, form a project, you know, implement that project, it, it, we don't have that time at the moment. And hence, we believe that for all these different services, the institutions are going to be, uh, looking out to find service providers like us. Um, and what we would like to be doing is actually to establish that kind of network with our partners so that when we go to any institution, we just don't go as a sort of standalone company. Hey, you know, we're crypto index as we came. It shouldn't be like that. It, it should be, look, you know, we've got solution partners. Here's your tax reporting um, provider and you know, here is a custodian, here we come together and we will be solving all your problems related to crypto. I think this is the way we want to be uh, doing business. Do you think, and I want to talk about partnerships as well, right? Because I have this thing that I say a lot, and that is that no one succeeds alone, right? And because things move so sure. quickly, 
I mean, I agree with you. I don't think the big institutions are going to be able to rebuild the entire financial infrastructure to handle crypto assets, and I don't think they have the expertise to do so. I would also say, and I'm curious about your opinion on this, is that in the old days, great traders would leave to start a hedge fund, but their upside was kind of capped, right? Because it was all related to how much money they could raise, but also their performance in the stock and bond markets and derivative markets as well. But now you can literally create crypto wealth overnight. And I have a feeling that a lot of the people that could develop this in-house at Goldman or JP Morgan or Scotiabank or pick any kind of financial institution would just say, why don't we just leave, build this piece that we know better than everybody else, tokenize that, join the sort of crypto revolution, and then partner with Crypto Index Series to provide that suite of services. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And and we you know, we see really more and more uh, sort of uh, senior people moving to crypto from traditional finance, um, which does make sense because, um, you know, the traditional institutions, they'd like to see things as they are in traditional sure. markets. Same structure, right? Uh, Exactly. So same structure, you know, similar taste, even the similar protocols, you know, for example, uh, we've got an API and now we're asked, oh, how about fixed protocol? Because that's what uh, they were using for their infrastructure at the time. Um, Can you connect to our fixed infrastructure? Did somebody really ask you that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That is awesome. Go ahead. So, um, so hence, you know, the expertise of those senior people um, do definitely matter in crypto markets, and I'm sure they'll find many more opportunities to to join companies like us. I think so too. I think there's going to be a good brain drain, or at least lack of the ability to hire people that understand this, because. I think one of the things, and it affects the media business, right? So I know this. I know I can sit in my studio with three lights, a great camera, and some microphones, and I can build a media business that before would have taken a billion dollars of investment to build. And I think in a way, technology has allowed you and your partner, along with some of the other people with whom this network of partners that you're trying to create, to also say there's enough technology available for us that we don't need the infrastructure of a big bank or investment bank or trading house to be able to build the tools that's necessary to build an institutional business that provides these services. Does that make sense as well? Um, sure, it does. You know, um, and the reason it's now possible is also because um, crypto exchanges are much different compared to traditional exchanges in that, you know, as a retail customer, I wouldn't have access to traditional exchange, for example. Nope. Whereas right now, you know, anybody can actually retrieve data from a crypto exchange, whether it's delayed data or not, it's another uh, discussion. Right. Um, but because access to trading is now um, technically possible, yeah. but also regulatory-wise possible. So yes, you can absolutely do what you just said. But this is a really interesting point. I don't want to gloss over this, right? So one of the reasons why you had to pay really high commissions to, again, Morgan Stanley, Goldman Sachs, Dean Witt, or whomever, was because they had a membership on an exchange and you couldn't get one. And you were mm-hmm. really paying for their access to trading data, trading information, and also just the ability to put an order on the exchange. But the way the crypto exchanges have been created and the sort of decentralized way that they've been built to, to some extent means that I could literally hang up this phone with you and create an account on Binance and start trading immediately. Sure. And that's just Absolutely. different, right? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course, you know, the institutions would still 
requires some procedures around how to trade and through what to trade and what to do for big amounts and so on. Sure, sure, but sure. nonetheless, um, you know, this gives our service providers a huge opportunity in terms of uh, doing the hard work for them. When you look at the crypto markets at scale, whether it's from an institutional side or from a retail side, do you think that, like, what role do you think it plays in the in the world where political systems are kind of in flux? Do you know what I mean? Hmm. You know what I mean? Where no one seems to control that particular asset per se, right? So if I want to trade a U.S. stock, I'd still have to just trade at some level on the New York Stock Exchange or on the NASDAQ, yeah? Mm-hmm. What yeah. is this? What is the implications of this, do you think? In fact, the implications are not only uh, in terms of cryptocurrency, but also in terms of their ability to be um, acting as a payment method in other platforms as well. Go ahead. So, um, you know, let's see each crypto asset as a as a project. Now, these software projects have started. Most of them started in 2017 uh, and onwards. And these software projects needed time to be developed and scale up and be known by us. Right. So in that respect, you know, I think that most of these projects actually come to fruition in the next, let's say, two to five years. And therefore, we will be utilizing them not only as an investment vehicle in an exchange, but also as a as a payment unit in a platform to, let's say, to um, give advertisements on a platform or to be paid for my attention in a platform. You know, so so for many different purposes, I'll be utilizing or I'll be paid these crypto assets. Um, or for you know the security token, let's say I'll be um, investing in God knows in which um, art piece or a real estate, um, and therefore they'll be so much of a part of a economy um, that it will not be just um, you know that their value will not necessarily depend on uh, the macroeconomy only, but they'll also have their microeconomies, um, which they'll have user base and their value will also depend on the loyalty of that user base, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I mean, if you go and look at just the gaming yields, right? So YGG is a really good example of this in the Philippines and they've created this thing called SLP. What is it? Uh, I can never remember what it stands for. Smooth love potions, right? But this is an on-ramp, off-ramp kind of token into into fiat currency, but also where you said, like people will get paid for their attention. In this case, they get paid to play, but they'll be paid mm-hmm. to watch, which you mentioned for the advertising business, they'll be paid to learn. I mean, the, all this stuff is changing. Do you see yourselves getting involved in that too? Um, I've been utilizing Brave Browser, for example. <laughs> Brave Browser gives out basic attention tokens for your attention. Um, you know, and it's been out there for a while. They um, they bought a mini search engine, um, so they they're trying to grow the their um, platform, let's say, or the areas where the um, basic attention token can be utilized more and more. Right. Um, and I think that would that that's kind of the aim of each crypto asset project to be utilized in as much as possible in different areas um, for by the users. 
do you follow the gaming industry at all? Um, remotely, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm a gamer myself. I'm not at but, all. But uh, no, I mean, of course, you know, I do follow how the NFTs and the metaverse advancements are um, affecting the gaming industry. But uh, yeah. Well, because that, that was really be. the next topic, right? In other words, if I look at the way the metaverse is developing, <clears throat> excuse me, it seems to me to allow a whole bunch of new financial models and new economic models, but crypto has to not has to be, but I think in, in the case of something like Animoca Brands and the Sandbox, they're banking on the fact or betting on the fact that crypto will be the mechanism for the creation of these new economic models. And I'm just curious if you've looked at that at all and what you think about it. Um, not that specific example, but the way I'm looking at it is, you know, in the past, we used the right software and then we used to have to connect to a payment gateway. And that payment gateway would allow access to the banks um, for payments. SWIFT is now, a good example of this, yeah. Exactly. Um, and, but we would certainly require that level for payment gateways in order to access the banking system. Whereas right now, we actually don't need that. No. Cryptocurrencies you know, also provide us that payment level Therefore, you know, everything is now embedded in the software level. I don't necessarily have to go out of any, you know, software level or a pay, utilize a payment gateway or, or anything like that. I don't even have to use it, you know, as, you know, banking at the moment for payment. Hence, uh, you're absolutely right. I mean, at the moment, you know, the whole economy is going to be on the uh, sort of injected into the software. Yeah, it feels like it, right? So the whole economy is going to be driven. It was weird, right? So Mark Andreessen said years ago that software is going to eat the world, but I don't think he anticipated this thing happening, mm. right? Mm. Because prior, yeah, because prior to blockchain technology and Bitcoin sort of being launched onto the onto the world, this type of stuff wasn't possible. And you're right. I think it's going to take these projects two, five, seven years to kind of gestate properly for us to really see their full impact. Anyway, I feel like you and I can have... Go, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to mention, um, I suppose, you know, people were looking at the possibility of, of something like this in the past, but maybe not necessarily um, sort of, it wasn't obviously found till 2009. But I remember in 2007, when I was doing my PhD, um, I looked at a card called Mondex card. And Mondex, I wouldn't say it was a successful project per se by you know it was it was a huge project in the uk and you know sort of what i was trying to do was i was trying to um, prove mathematically by using some formal methods that you weren't able to create money and put it in the card um, the card would allow you to have several wallets so you could have you know a usd wallet um pounds uh, let's say euro wallet in one card right um even then i think um people were trying to find ways of having several currencies in one place. Um, and so the idea was, you know, the total amount of USD should not change in the world. Therefore, nobody should be able to introduce um, dollars in that card. That, that was, you know, my bit. But, um, you know, overall, gradually, we've actually started seeing, even back then, um, move towards digitalization, digitalization of money, of having everything. multiple wallets and everything. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, really interesting. Like I was going to say, look, I feel like I could keep going on and on with you, and I don't want to take up more of your time. You've been very generous with your time today. I'd just like to thank you, Gilkeche Phillips, a co-founder and CEO of Crypto Indexers. You've got to come back and continue this conversation. That was really great. Thank you very much, Michael, for the invitation. It was my pleasure.